can we just do like a big sigh? <sighs> or as Scout tells me, she's like, stretch, Daddy. You do like a big stretch, and she will not allow you to not stretch, so you have to act like you're doing a big stretch. But I'm going to do a big sigh this morning <sighs> and shake it all off. Welcome. I started over. Um, <coughs> we are continuing our series in the book of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there, get a head start on it this morning. So as we pick up our text today, Mark is going to give us two more examples of Jesus' power, but in a little different way. So if you think back over the last couple of stories that we've covered, back in the end of chapter 4, we have this story about how Jesus and his disciples are out on the sea, and he goes to sleep, and this storm comes, and the disciples freak out, and they wake him up, and they say, Jesus, do something. So Jesus wakes up, and he tells this storm to chill out, and the storm goes away. So he exercises his power and his authority over nature. So literally, Mother Nature obeys the very words and the very voice of Jesus Christ. And then right after that, what happens? They go and they, they come across this man who's demon-possessed. And Jesus casts out these demons. But that is amazing in itself, but that is not even the most amazing part of that story, to me at least. It's that the demons then ask him permission on what they can do and where they can go. And Jesus says, okay, you can go into the pigs. And they go in the pigs and the pigs go off the cliff. And so Jesus has this complete authority over demonic presence, over demons. Complete and ultimate power. And then this week we're going to see another area that Jesus displays his power. And it's a little bit different, but it's pretty crazy. He displays his power over sickness and over death. And the major theme that we're going to see in our stories today is a healing salvation by faith. Because we have a Savior that has power over sickness and over death. So that we can, as our big idea this morning, have faith in the midst. You're going to hear me say that uh, quite a bit this morning. So let's jump into our text today. Let's take a look at the two examples of Jesus' power from our text. Now, we have a little bit of a, a text sandwich, if you will, today. We, we get this first story from Mark, and it's about Jairus, and he's in distress, and he's, um, he, he's stressing out about his sick daughter. <clears throat> and in the middle of our text, we have a completely different story about this woman and her illness. And then we end with the end of Jairus' story. So a little bit of a, a text sandwich this morning. But both of these stories have some common themes. And they actually are common themes with the other stories that we just discussed with the, the sea and the, the storm and the demonic man. One, that Jesus cares about those in trouble. He cares about those who are in distress. He cares about those who are suffering from sickness or disease or just life in general. And then two, Jesus is the omnipotent God. He has all authority. He has complete power over nature. He has complete power over demons. He has complete power over sickness and even death itself. And so we're going to see those themes run along in these two stories today as well. So let's read our first story from our text today. Again, if you have your Bibles, Mark 5, we're going to be verse 21. 
We do have some Bibles in the back if you want to grab one of those, or you can just follow along on the screen uh, with us today as we read. So, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be made well and live. So you're probably like, man, Jesus is on the move always. He is. He's pinballing back and forth the Sea of Galilee, and and now he's come back to the other side. And once again, he finds himself, just like Jesus has been through the start of Mark, followed and surrounded by a great crowd of people. One of the people in the crowd is this man named Jairus. He's a religious man. He's a ruler of the synagogue of that area. And he falls on his face and begins begging Jesus to come and heal his daughter because his daughter is sick. She's on her deathbed. Now, if we look at Luke's account of this story, we see that this is Jairus' only daughter. So, seems normal, right? You want to save your kid. You want your only daughter is sick and, and at the point of dying. Of course you would come to Jesus, the one that can heal, that can do miracles. But this is a little bit out of the, the normal for a man like Jairus. Check this out. So here you have this religious official, this elevated man in leadership. He's essentially bucking the trend and the acceptable behavior for somebody of his stature in that position. And yet he's at the end of his role. He, he has nothing else he can do. And so he doesn't care about the system that's in place. He doesn't care about his job and, and what um, he's supposed to do or not supposed to do. And he comes to Jesus. Now, I love the picture of Jairus's faith here. It's this beautiful picture of simple, humble faith. He believed that Jesus could do for him and could do for his daughter what, what no one else could do. And so he comes to him with his request. He, f- he falls on his face and he begs Jesus to help him. So contrary to the religious system that was in place in that day, Jairus says, I don't care. And he demonstrates this beautiful faith. But something else that is very interesting to me about this story and, and Jairus in particular is that J- Jairus didn't really pursue Jesus until he was in great distress, until his world came crashing down. Now, if we're completely honest, isn't that how we are much of the time? Like, how many of us believe Christ, maybe in a point of crisis, or we believe Christ and maybe we've put him on a shelf? We really only come to him when we need him or when we have a request or you know, when a divorce is imminent or when a, a, a child is sick and dying from cancer or maybe we're in a financial crisis. But whatever it is, then we come to Jesus. Why is that? I think a lot of it is that we feel like we're self-sufficient. We can get through this life on our own. We don't need someone else's help. We don't need Jesus' help, we assume that we are self-sufficient and that we can do it in our own power. But what we need to understand this morning and as we go through life in in what Jesus teaches us throughout Scripture is that instead of being self-dependent, we need to be God-dependent. Because at some point in life, sooner or later, we are going to need him. 
So let us be a people that have faith always. Let us be a people that have faith in the midst. Now, let's read. I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture here. So stay with me, follow along, and I'll try to speak clearly as we go through this. Verse 24. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. She had learned the, or she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, again, that's a big chunk of scripture, uh, a healthy-sized part of the sandwich, if you will. But looking at that whole story gives us a really good look into the faith of this unnamed woman, this woman with the disease. It also shows us something about Jesus. It shows us that he is an intentional and personal God. It shows us his intentional and personal response to this woman. So Jesus is traveling with Jairus, right? Jairus, we just heard, Jairus comes, falls on his face. Jesus, come heal my daughter. Jesus decides to go. And in the midst of that, this great crowd, again, begins to grow, begins to follow him. It, it's so great that people are bumping into him. It, it's a, he's basically getting mobbed. Now, in this crowd is a woman. And this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. And she heard the good news of Jesus and his healing and his miracles and what he could do. And so she decides, I've got to get to Jesus. He is going to be able to heal me. And Mark gives us some interesting information about this woman. Right? So she is bleeding. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's suffered under many physicians. She's tried everything. She's spent everything that she has trying to be healed. She's tried every remedy that she could possibly try to be healed, and nothing has worked. And in fact, it's grown worse over the 12 years. So this illness, this disease, would also mean that she was ceremonial un ceremonially unclean, meaning she wouldn't have been able to go to the synagogue or the tabernacle to worship. She would have been an outcast. It also means that she wouldn't have had a husband it also means that she wouldn't have had children, which all of those things were basically curses upon people in that time. So she is the complete opposite of Jairus in our first story. This outcast, unclean woman who can't be around people, who can't have children, who, who can't be married because she's unclean. And then you have Jairus, who's this man of repute. He's in leadership. He's, he's part of the, the leadership of the synagogue. He probably has everything that he needs in life. Complete opposites. But it's this beautiful picture 
of Jesus and how he doesn't make distinctions between people. Jesus didn't care. He listened to Jairus. He's on his way to go heal his daughter. This unclean woman comes to Jesus, and what does he do? He stops. There's something very similar to these two people in our stories today, though. Complete opposites on both ends of the spectrum. And yet both of them have faith that Jesus' power will heal them. And so this woman here doesn't allow her status to stop her faith. She doesn't allow who she is and that she's considered unclean and unworthy and an outcast to stop her from coming to Jesus. Essentially, it motivated her to put her faith into action. She was at the end of her rope. She had nothing left. She had no money. She had tried everything, but nothing could heal her. And so she believed that if she could just get within an arm's reach of Jesus, if she could literally just touch his cloak, his garment, that she would be healed. And so during this trip to Jairus' house, this woman makes her way through the crowd and gets to Jesus. Now, that's pretty significant in itself, because remember, put yourself in that culture. She was unclean. She was an outcast. This crowd would have probably known who she was. She would have been on the outside of the city. She, she wouldn't have been allowed to come in. And so she had to kind of probably put a hood over her head or conceal her identity in some way and move stealthily through the crowd to get to Jesus. And she does that, and she gets close enough to Jesus that she touches his garment. Because she was desperate for physical healing. But when you think about it, she was desperate for the other healing that would take place. The healing that would take place emotionally, relationally, physically, spiritually, economically, all those would change immediately if she was healed. So this was a desperate, silent plea from a suffering woman. And look what happens when she touches Jesus' cloak. Look at verse 29. Immediately, again, that word that Mark loves, but I think in this case is so beautiful. Immediately, she was healed. The blood stopped. And she felt it take place. She felt that healing happen immediately. So what doctors couldn't do for her the past 12 years, what her finances and, and the remedies and, and the healing couldn't do for her for the past 12 years, Jesus did in a matter of a moment. Just like that. Complete healing. Can you imagine the joy that filled this woman at that moment in time? She felt healing. But not only did she feel healing, Jesus felt the healing power leave him as well. Verse 30 says that, you know, Jesus felt the power leave him. He turns and asks the crowd a question. He says, who touched my garments? He knew something had happened. A little bit of a strange question because people are pushing up against him. He's being touched every way. People are probably grabbing his shoulder and grabbing his ankles as he walks by and, and trying to shake his hand. And, and yet this woman just touches the hem of his garment and she's healed and he feels it. I want to pause here for a second this morning because this is a beautiful picture 
of our Savior. If you are a Christian today, you need to know that you have a Savior that loves you enough to stop. You have a Savior who, in the midst of all the pushing and the grinding and the busyness and the noise of life, sees you and cares for you. He feels you. He suffers with you. He heals you. And you may say, yeah, but God doesn't feel like that to me. He, he doesn't feel close to me. He feels distant. He's there. In fact, if there's any distance, it's most likely on our part. We are the one that has gone astray, or we are the one that have created the distance. Because the Jesus we see here in this story and throughout Scripture is an intentional God. He's a personal God. Because how much easier would it have been for him to just continue on walking? He's on a mission. He's going to heal this daughter who is on her deathbed. People are touching him. She's healed. Okay, she's healed. I can continue on. But he doesn't do that. He stops in the process on the mission that he was on. And he stops. He, he felt what had happened. And he engages this woman. Again, this unclean woman, which would have been really taboo for him to do in the first place in that culture, to interact with a woman like that. And so the scene plays out once again with the disciples showing their lack of understanding of who Jesus really is. They say, I mean, Jesus, that is the weirdest question. There's people everywhere. How do you know someone's touching you? Everyone is touching you. But Jesus knew what had happened. And so did the w woman, right? Because she comes, she falls on her face, and she tells the whole truth. This is what happened. This is what I'm doing. She tells the truth in fear and trembling, as Mark says. And Jesus responds to her in grace, in peace, in faith. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, there are so many encouragements that we can draw from this story this morning. The determination of the woman or her faith in a hopelessness, in helplessness, in desperation. We see faith in the midst, in a situation where many people would have just given up. Many people would have just throw, thrown in the towel. Twelve years, I don't have it anymore. I can't do it. And yet... She didn't allow that to distract her from her focus. And her faith brought her to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus graciously healed her. She found so much more than healing, though. She found this personal, intentional Savior. So we ask ourselves, do you ever allow a situation to distract you from your focus on God? Or to the point of where you're overwhelmed that you refuse to see what God is doing in your life right now? Maybe you're so consumed with something that you don't see what God is doing. Or maybe you miss something that God did in the past. But you may be saying, yeah, okay, we know these stories. We know these Bible stories. They end well. They're kind of a fairy tale ending, if you will. And it's so easy for us to focus on these stories of healing. But what about when a time comes 
when healing doesn't take place. When God doesn't answer your request the way that you want him to answer it. Let's look at a couple passages today real quickly. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Verse 18, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. See, Habakkuk knew. He knew that no matter what happened, God was worthy of his faith. God was worthy of his trust. What about Job? We all know the story of Job. He lost everything. He lost his children. He lost his possessions. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost everything. What does he say in Job 13, 15? Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will argue my ways to his face. See, we live in a fallen world that's full of sin and it's full of rebellion. It's full of heartache and pain. Either in your life you can see it or you see it in maybe a family member's life that's going through something or maybe your friends are going through heartache and pain. Yet we know that God is good. We can see that from the promises in Scripture. He shared with us the ultimate plan, the overall picture, the overall idea of what he is trying to do. And we can have faith in the midst because we know the end of the story. We can say to all the sickness and all the death that you are not the end. All that suffering, all the trials that you are going through right now in your life, that is not the end. Because Jesus has the victory. Because Jesus defeated sickness. Because Jesus defeated death once and for all on the cross. That is the end. So we, so we see Jesus, the master healer. We see him as this caring, personal, intentional savior here in Mark. And that should in turn motivate us to have faith in the midst. Our story continues on in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why are you troubling the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he had said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was about 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. 
And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So we finish our text sandwich today with the second part of Jarius' story. Back to where we started before this woman grabs Jesus in faith to be healed. And so for a second, put yourself in Jarius' shoes. Because Jarius was in no doubt full of anxiety and frustration at this point. He had mustered up all this faith and this courage to come to Jesus, to beg him to come heal his daughter. And Jesus says yes, and he's filled with hope because now him and Jesus, this master, this healer, this guy who can do anything, is coming to his house to heal his daughter. And then we have the story of the woman who kind of interrupts this process. Now, Jairus is probably a person that is used to getting what he wants. He's used to getting the attention from others. And so in his eyes, Jesus is practically ignoring this dire situation. His, his daughter's on her deathbed. How could Jesus take time to deal with this woman? She's been sick for 12 years. What's another half hour? What's another hour? My daughter's on her deathbed. And now we saw that the woman, she got exactly what she so desperately needed and wanted, that healing from her disease, from her sickness. But for Jarius, things are not going exactly how he hoped. Because as Jesus finishes healing this woman and, and being with her, someone from his house comes and says, Jarius, your daughter is dead. Don't bother him anymore. And so all that hope on all that faith that Jairus had in his heart that his daughter was going to be healed because Jesus was coming to his house is shattered. And yet what is Jesus' response? He says, do not fear, only believe. Now literally translated, that means stop fearing, continue believing. Or in the words of our friend's journey, don't stop believing. Right? So Jesus responds to this bad news with a challenge. He says, keep believing. He seems to say, look, I'm, I'm not disinterested with you. I, I'm not distracted by your need, but I simply work on my terms and my timing. I'm not going to be hurried. I'm not going to be dictated to. So believe. Watch what I can do. So Jesus takes his inner core of disciples. Interesting, this is the first time we see this distinction between all of the disciples and his inner core. So he takes Peter, James, and John, and they go to the house. And they get in this house, and there's, it's full of these professional mourners. Yes, that's a thing. Look it up. Professional mourners that would weep and wail and make a big deal in death in times like that. And so they would be around at houses like this when people are on their deathbeds. They would be at funerals. They would be at gravesides. And Jesus is like, what is going on? What are you guys doing? Why are you making fools of yourself? This girl is sleeping. What do they do? They laugh at his face. This girl's dead. There's no life. There's no breath in her. And so he throws them out. And it's just the parents and it's just his core disciples. And he starts to go to work. Pause here for a second. Because I think there is a good mini application in this scene right here. 
I think someone needs to hear this this morning. There are always going to be people who are going to make fun of you for your belief in God. There are always going to be people that are going to mock you for going to church on Sunday. You're always going to be around people who are going to think that you are ridiculous, that you are a fool for not going out with them on Friday night and getting hammered or getting high. There are always going to be those people. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, believe, continue believing, follow me, I will give you true satisfaction. I will give you true healing. You don't need these other things. What is Jesus' answer to Jairus again? He says, do not fear, only believe. Have faith, trust in me. Put your faith, put your trust in me, a sovereign God who has power over everything, who has power over nature, who has power over demons, who has power over sickness, and has power over death itself. Put your trust, put your faith in me. Just like we sang a couple minutes ago, there is no rival. There is no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. What Jesus offers us is so much better than any mocking or any ridicule that may come your way because of it. So Jesus is in the house with the parents and his disciples And Jesus does something, again, that is a big deal. To us, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But to touch a dead person was unclean. It was a big deal. And what does he do? He touches this girl. And with a gentle, loving touch, he speaks literal life into this child. He says, little girl, I say to you, arise. Now, we know the end of the story. We know that she wakes up. But imagine the pure shock and amazement in that room. <laughs> not, not just the parents, but the disciples that are like, whoa, what just happened? We, we haven't seen this before. We've seen healing. We, we've seen demons cast out. We haven't seen this before. Their daughter was dead, and now she is alive. And they are immediately overcome with amazement, as Mark says there in verse 42. Now that seems a little bit like the understatement (laughs) of the year maybe, but their daughter who was dead is now alive. There are several lessons that we can take from our stories today. And I want to talk through a couple of them this morning while we still have some time. First, Christ helps those who have given up healing or helping themselves. So both Jairus and this woman, they had come to the end of themselves. They, they had nothing else that they could do. They both came to Jesus in desperate dependence and simple trust in him, that he could heal the daughter and that he could heal this woman. Remember Mark's description of the the woman's futile efforts in herself back in verse 26 says she had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather she had grown worse. See, it's not until we have spent all of our resources in the hopelessness, in the hopeless pursuit of healing ourselves that we will be ready to truly depend on Christ's power. That we will be ready to truly depend on Christ's power 
for our victory. So the question is, how long will it take us to get to that point? How long will it take us to get to the end of ourselves and beginning to look to Christ alone for that power, for that healing that he gives us? Secondly, there's always time to do the will of God. Now Christ could have left that woman behind. She was healed. She was already taken care of. He could have just kept going. But he didn't hurry on. He paused. He was intentional. He stopped to do God's will at that moment. I think too often we miss what God is doing, what God's will is for that moment and our frenzy about the future or the busyness of life. You think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's what happened with the Levite and the priest. They're worried about going and doing what they needed to do, that they passed that wounded man on the road. So for how many of us is that true today? So easy to get caught up in other things. It's so easy to get caught up in the future. It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of life, our craziness of jobs, our family at home, whatever it may be, it's so easy to miss out on what is right there in front of us at that moment in time. We miss out on those God moments that he brings into our lives because we are looking too far in advance or we are too consumed what's going on in our mind or at home or at work. So the challenge is don't be too busy. Don't miss out on what God is doing right here, right now in your life. Well, thirdly, God honors the faith of all who come to him through Jesus. Our social social status, our gender, or any other distinction does not matter to God. God cared for a demon-possessed man. He cared for Jairus, a man of distinction. He cared for an unclean woman. He he, he, He cared for a powerless child. You think about all those different people over the last couple chapters. How different are they? And yet Jesus met them right where they were. So it does not matter our status or our gender or any other distinction. God truly does love the world without any caveats, without any distinctions. And lastly, <clears throat> we can come to Jesus with our requests. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what our requests are, Jesus, God tells us to come boldly bef- to the throne of grace. Hebrews, right? Hebrews 4.16, boldly come to the throne of grace. Come with faith, come with expectancy, not fearing, but believing. Why? Because God honors imperfect faith from a sincere heart when the object of that faith is Jesus. Let me say that again. God honors imperfect faith from a sincere heart when the object of that faith is Jesus. He wants you to come to him with any and every request that you may have in your life. He wants you to come boldly, expecting that he will do what he can do, whatever the circumstance is. You may ask why. 
I think the answer is simple and, and proven really in our stories today. It's because he can be trusted to heal diseases and to conquer death. How do we know that? Because we fast forward a couple more chapters to when Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. Conquers sin and defeats death by raising to life. He defeated sin and death once and for all on the cross. That's how we know. As we close today, I want to talk a little bit about the other side of the coin of healing and of suffering. Because you may be sitting there and you may be saying, yeah, wait a second. There's not always a storybook ending. These ones are great because they end the way that we all want them to, right? There's healing. Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead. This woman who's been suffering for 12 years is healed. There's not always a storybook ending. So you may be saying, well, do I not have enough faith? Like my dad has cancer. Do I not have enough faith because he's not being healed? Or my spouse died. And did I not have enough faith? I, I prayed for you to, to heal them. And those are all valid and tough questions that we have to wrestle through as we go through life. But what we have to remember is that healing may not come on earth. It may not come on this side of eternity. In our human mind, in, in our human eyes, and maybe even in our selfishness a little bit, we want healing. We want release from the suffering, from the trials that we are going through. We want answers to our prayers now and in the way that we want them. But what we don't necessarily like to think about or, or, or hear is that healing may actually be death. Or that the suffering that we are going through is a for, a for a specific purpose to grow us, to make us more like Christ. And it's allowed by God. Now this week I came across a video of a guy named Jonathan Evans. He was preaching at his mother's funeral who had passed away at the end of the year from cancer. Now Jonathan Evans is the son of Lois Evans. Lois Evans was the wife of a preacher named Tony Evans. Ring a bell to anyone? Big preacher, has a big church down in Texas, always on the radio or TV, got a bunch of books. And I kept seeing this video pop up on my Twitter feed and, and on my Facebook feed. And I kept scrolling past it. And, and finally on, on Thursday, I think it was, I was like, what? I'm going to see why this keeps popping up. So I play it, and I'm so glad that I did because I want to read you some of what he said. And, and it was in regards to him wrestling with God about not healing his mom. Because it, it hit me straight in the heart, and it speaks to what we're talking about here today. He says, and as I wrestled with God, he answered. He said, you don't understand the nature of my victory. Because just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't already answered your prayer anyway. Because victory was already given to your mom. Because the victory I have given you, there will always only be two answers to your prayers. 
Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. Either she was going to be well taken care of or she was going to be well taken care of. Because victory belongs to me. As I sat there, tears in my eyes, it, it clicked. Because this is the mindset that we must have in regards to God. In regards to healing. In regards to suffering. Just because God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want doesn't mean he didn't answer. Just because God doesn't answer our prayers when we want doesn't mean that God hasn't answered our prayers. Because either you're going to be healed or you're going to be healed in heaven. Either you're going to live on earth or you're going to live in heaven. Either you're going to be well taken care of on earth or you're going to be well taken care of in heaven. And either you're going to live with your family on earth or you're going to live with your heavenly father. Because the victory belongs to Jesus. Because Jesus defeated death. So we need to take a step back and look at the big picture. The ultimate goal, the the ultimate victory, and that's heaven. Eternity with God. That is the win. That is the goal. That is the victory that as a son and daughter, we look forward to. The earth is just the in-between time. So when God doesn't heal your friend or the suffering, the, the trial, the frustration that you're going through doesn't end when you want it and how you want it, we can and we should still have faith that God is sovereign. Because God works in his timing, in his will, in his way. It's not our job to question that. As hard as that may be, it's our job to trust, to continue believing. To continue believing in his time and in his will and in his way. Because the ultimate victory belongs to him. So whether healing happens on earth, like our stories today about Jairus' daughter and the woman, or whether it happens in heaven, we can have faith in the midst. Let's pray.